Mission and my purpose on the surf like Do they like it deep? Can they handle the girth right? I keep it gnarly, surf life I like my taco with the cheese in it And I drink my coffee with the cream in it But you can't have all that you believe Hey you guys, welcome back to Block Channel And we're back for episode 26 uh, and typically, we normally use a five-episode run for each season. Um, but for this particular episode, uh, excuse me, for this particular season, we're going to go ahead and extend that to uh, six episodes. Um, pretty much because I really wanted to get these guys on uh, before we close out of here for a little bit, before we came back in for the next season. Uh, and also because last episode on episode 25, I started the episode by saying it was episode 26. So inevitably, now I had to make a second episode. So here it is. Um, so we're joined today uh, with the Grid Plus team uh, with three gentlemen, uh, Mark, Carl, and Alex. Uh, and then, of course, I'm also joined by uh, Corey Petty, uh, my regular co-host. Corey, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? What's up, guys? Looking forward to interviewing uh, guys from Grid Plus. I like what y'all are doing and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Excellent. Thank you, Corey. And of course, if you don't know who I am, you don't know who this voice is, this is Stephen Mackey. Um, glad to be back here again. Glad for another really great season. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We had on a lot of really good uh, guests. And glad to close it out with these three fellas for our first ever triple header. So it should be good. So it should be jam-packed full of information. So I hope you guys enjoy it. So let's go ahead and get this party started. Uh, and I guess we could probably start with, let's just go in order from how we have it here on the screen. Let's go with uh, Carl first. And then we'll move on to Alex and then Mark. Um, so Carl, if you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself, tell us, you know, who you are, what your background and how you got into crypto, and then we'll go on to your other friends. Yeah. Okay. So I'm an engineer by training, uh, graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering, uh, then went to work for a place in uh, San Antonio called Southwest Research Institute. Uh, when I was there, I started a consortium uh, called the Energy Storage System Evaluation and Safety Consortium. It had 12 different uh, industry members, about a $3 million budget. And what it did is it did pre-competitive testing and research on large format lithium-ion batteries for both uh, tractive uh, applications, so automobiles, as well as uh, energy storage. Uh, after doing that for about two years, uh, I decided I wanted to go back to school uh, and get my graduate degree. So I got my degree in material science, uh, doing research on energy storage and advanced battery technologies. I've just finished up that recently. I started uh, consulting with the consensus guys um, back in February or so, uh, kind of as an SME on some of the energy projects. Uh, one of the reasons I got brought in is because I actually went uh, to graduate school with Alex. Um, and I actually introduced uh, Alex kind of to the crypto space. Uh, so I got into uh, Bitcoin uh, around the 2012 timeframe. Uh, and well, me you know, too. speculating in it, you know, watching and observing it. You know, a couple times in grad school, I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, maybe I can just quit this grad school thing and try to find a job in cryptocurrencies. Um, but that hasn't really kind of been an opportunity till about probably the last two years or so. So, uh, kind of times itself well, and then I'm finishing up and I found this great opportunity. So. Excellent. So go ahead, uh, Alex, go ahead and give us your background, man. Tell us, tell us where you're from. Tell us what you're about. Cool. Yeah. So I'm the developer of the group. Um, 
I was introduced, as Carl said, to Bitcoin in like early 2014. So I'm, I'm kind of a latecomer. I thought it was really interesting. I, Carl convinced me to buy a couple of Bitcoins. Um, it, it kind of was a, was a passing interest until maybe a year later. I was working um, as a developer at a fintech startup and we were pushing these tiny little payments through the Visa network. So like maybe a dollar or two at a time. And we we're just getting killed by transaction fees. So I went back and researched Bitcoin. Um, I still was not super captivated because I couldn't get over the fact that there was just this one unit of account, um, the Bitcoin, and that was obviously not stable with respect to any fiat currencies. So that kind of seemed like a non-starter for me. But, but in the process, I learned about Ethereum, and that was really when I fell down the rabbit hole. So I've, you know, I've since never really looked back. Um, a few months later, I met up with some some consensus folks. I joined the team. Um, I have a background in sort of applied physics. So um, I started working on some energy projects, which I've been doing for the better part of a year now. And those have kind of coalesced into uh, what we now know as GridPlus. Well, let's just let's save the, uh, the last one. But last but not least, go ahead. Uh... Break it to us, Mark. Tell us about your uh, your pedigree. Well, first off, Mackie, Corey, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Um, kind of like Carl, I got into Bitcoin uh, around late 2012-ish. Um, I was working at Deloitte at the time. I have a background in management consulting. I spent about a decade at Deloitte. Uh, I, at the time, I was working on Lehman's bankruptcy. Most of my uh, most of my clients were financial services uh, projects, large bulge bracket banks. I was building a lot of their restructuring out for the FX side of the house. Um, in 2013, I started running around Deloitte, talking to most of the regional managing partners, trying to get them excited about this. Didn't gain too much traction until later in 2014, when I started flying all around the country, talking to every client who was potentially interested in any of this blockchain stuff. Uh, it wasn't until Ethereum actually launched that <clears throat> any real activity started happening internally. We started a Deloitte cryptocurrency community that had three people at first, and when I left, we had 550 dialing in every two weeks. So it grew pretty rapidly uh, internally. And I sold the first loyalty project built on Ethereum. This was about a month after the public chain launched. Uh, at that time, my closest ties in the space to Ethereum were, were the Lilich brothers who were doing some stuff on the side, but they introduced me to Joe Lubin and the consensus guys. So I ended up hiring consensus at the time. And I think they had like maybe 15 people or so. This was, I don't know, uh, August or September of 2015. Now we're mm -hmm. sitting at like 240 people, which is absolutely insane for a startup in this space. But uh, yeah, so we grew quite a bit since then. I, I ran project management on that loyalty platform. Igor Lilich built out a lot of the technology that now sits on Azure for their one-click deployment of Ethereum. Um, and after that, I ended up joining Consensus to build out their enterprise group. So I'm a managing partner in the enterprise group. We've got about 65 or so people there. We do a lot of consulting for Fortune 500s and some governments around the world uh, for about 14 months or so. One of our largest projects was in the energy space. We've been doing a lot of things, building peer-to-peer uh, decentralized exchanges, uh, playing around with tokenization of energy, how can we make things more efficient? And uh, I started working with Alex on most of these projects. He was the lead developer on the energy side. So we've taken a lot of those learnings and kind of coalesced them with other energy projects we've done internally on both the public chain and some private forks. And those ideas with with some of Carl's guidance have coalesced into Grid Plus. Yeah, it's a perfect, perfect segue into, I guess, discussing now that we kind of know that your backgrounds and where you come from, but it's, there's a lot of various expertise that seem to apply perfectly for this particular project. Let's talk about Grid Plus as a project, what problem it's solving, and kind of like how the blockchain 
is a very good solution for this particular issue we may be facing? Sure. So, I mean, I can get started and then maybe pass to Carl to add to that. Um, so one of the reasons why... Can, like, um, can, you, can, you, can you say specifically who's speaking before you move oh, forward? Yeah, sure. This is Mark. Yeah, so one of the things I'll say for a lot of the projects we did on Ethereum early on for energy is that they weren't scalable. Um, there were some poor design choices. We also started building really early on before we had any developer tools that we're all used to now, like before there was Truffle or MetaMask or Infura or anything really fun to get up and running quickly. Um, so we made a lot of poor design decisions early on in the energy side of things, trying to build on book, like decentralized exchanges and everything else. And we, I don't want to say we missed uh, the vision, but Ethereum, what it does really well is the idea of user agency, like allowing users to actually like hold and escrow their own funds at all times. And what we really want to do is find a way that users can be uh, in control uh, of their own, I guess, assets at all times. And those assets can be more than just money. Um, so one of the things that we really like about Ethereum is that we, we can build a system whereby we can circumvent a lot of the legacy payment rails, which Alex knows intimately, um, and we can operate at way, way reduced cost for the way retailers currently deliver electricity to end users. So really the whole idea behind it is that we're opening up wholesale markets and other markets that normal customers have no way of actually getting access to right now. Excellent. So th that's a pretty... Uh, that's a pretty worthy endeavor i would must say there so 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 uh, i guess along the way um through this process you know you must have discovered a lot of obstacles like uh you know it, it seems it seems easy you know when you say it out loud but what's 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 some challenges you guys have been facing so far i'm um, trying to get something like this up and running uh, there's like too many to enumerate at least from the like consulting side of the house and talking to other competitors fighting a lot of the dissonance out there about how to structure these things appropriately i think there's quite a few charlatans that exist in this space and they're trying to ride the, the blockchain wave to just build something and throw the term blockchain out even though it makes no sense to actually do it on chain at all. Um, I would actually argue that most companies that have just a private chain that have no shared validation elsewhere, no touching a public chain, like it's totally useless. They should probably look at MySQL instead. Um, so I guess getting, getting the education up for our clients, for people we're going to work with uh, in industry and actually using the blockchain for what what it makes sense and not putting too much logic on chain. Basically what we want to do is have settlements on chain. We, we utilize essentially state channels for the most part. Uh, Alex has open sourced our one-way payment channels that allow us to reduce the actual uh, transaction costs and the amount of time uh, to settle these transactions with our end users pretty substantially. Um, I don't know if Carl or Alex you want to touch on other aspects of that. Yeah, maybe um, it's just Carl. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I can just kind of give an overview of what I think are some of the challenges from sort of a business side, an infrastructure side, and a, a regulatory side. That would be maybe perfect. Alex can kind of address some of the uh, technically specific uh, questions. But mm -hmm. if you look at the projects that uh, Alex and Mark were working on with the Fortune 50 energy companies, um, it was highly focused on the use of uh, what we call distributed energy resources, or DERS for short. So, you know, having uh, individuals that have the possibility of having generation, say solar panels, or having storage as well, batteries, and creating peer-to-peer -peer markets between sets of these individuals where they can buy and sell their energy. And so that's kind of what we see as maybe the, the end point in the future electricity markets where we have many of these distributed energy resources 
and everybody is kind of their own micro utility and everybody is buying and selling with everybody else. And you create this very uh, distributed grid that has a high degree of renewable energy and has a lot of storage and it's a very robust system. The, the difficulty with that is that if you actually look at the penetration of renewables or these distributed energy resources, we see quite a bit of solar but we don't see a lot of batteries. So even though that's kind of the endpoint that we see from a technological standpoint, both from uh, an energy side, just driven strictly by the economics that we're seeing with batteries and solar panels, um, it's not possible to do today, but we somehow need a bridge to get to that point. So if you look at where we are today, uh, you can largely divide the electricity markets into what we call regulated and deregulated markets. And, and very simply, a regulated market is roughly a monopoly. So uh, it's a government sort of sanctioned monopoly. So generation, transmission, distribution, retailing are all done by one single entity. And um, deregulated markets are basically the segmentation of those. So you have a generator who sells into a transmission system that sells into, you know, the retail system, which pays the distributors, you know, to use the network. So that's a deregulated market. And so the idea of Grid Plus is, is trying to answer the question of how do we bridge from where we are now with not a lot of distributed energy resources to the future where we have distributed energy resources and everybody's trading electricity peer-to-peer. -peer. So what we see um, Grid Plus doing is operating in deregulated markets as a retailer. And essentially what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to use Ethereum to conduct electricity sales in a way where we don't have any counterparty risk, which actually allows us to give the consumers direct access to wholesale prices. In doing that, we actually expose them to the economic fluctuations in the prices of electricity, which are driven by supply and demand. And in doing that, you start to incentivize them to actually install batteries and solar panels because they can actually realize cost savings. And um, yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah. No, so, go ahead, Mackie. Uh, uh, no, I was I was just gonna say like that's that's, that's a really thorough like explanation that makes a lot of sense. Did, did Alex, did you want to throw something in there? Was that what you're gonna do? Yeah, I was just going to jump in and talk yeah. about um, the extremely short term. So mm -hmm. what we're building right now is um, running out of this, this little device that we call an agent. And it's a general purpose computer with a secure enclave for um, ECDSA signatures. And ECDSA, it's the, uh, the signature scheme that Ethereum uses. Um, so what a consumer would do is buy one of these agents for maybe 50 bucks. Um, they would turn it on. Um, put it on their desk and forget about it. And this this agent is now basically um, their household's identity on the Grid Plus network. So it expo it is exposed to these wholesale markets. Um, it buys and sells electricity from us. Um, probably in the beginning, it'll be mostly buying. But um, what the way the way we do this is um, these these agents will receive um, bolts which are our stable coin, um, where, where one bolt is equal to a dollar. Um, so those will, those will hold their, their, um, 
their uh, dollars for the month or something like that. So maybe someone will deposit 50 bucks onto their agent. Um, and at that point, they can just uh, for forget about it. And what, what, what it does in the background is it opens uh, payment channels every, um, probably every month or two. It keeps a, a payment channel open and then we'll close it out. But the idea is that we want this to be absolutely as simple as possible. And we want the customers to not know that they are using crypto at all. That's a very, um, I guess, we, I think we talk a lot about how these products that people are building need to have some type of user interface that allows them to do something they couldn't do before while not quite understanding that they're using blockchain while using it at the same time. And it seems like this is the, the endeavor you're trying to do. Do you see, like, if I were to summarize a lot of what all of you just said, are you trying to create an energy grid platform that basically incentivizes people to create their own energy and share it with their community around them? Yes, I think that would be a pretty good uh, kind of summary. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's at least partly right. <clears throat> I mean, if you look now and if you're in a market wherein there's a flat price of energy, you have no incentive to charge your battery when energy is cheap overnight and then sell it back into the grid at 3 p.m. when all the air conditioners are pumping, right? Because if you're getting like a flattened out rate um, that the utility, at, you know, to average it out throughout the day and then adds a buffer to it, like you have no incentive because there's no time of use pricing. Uh, in our system, you'll be exposed to whatever the wholesale market is. So in, end users finally have like an incentive to actually charge up when prices are low and sell back into the system where prices are high. So their agent can actually get smarter over time and know how much they're going to be using ahead of time in purchasing day ahead markets, which are usually substantially cheaper than the real time markets. Is it? I, I think what's missing here is I, I, a lot of people don't quite understand the dynamic of an energy grid and how like people just pay their electric bill and they say, Oh man, I used a lot of electricity this month or and so forth. They don't understand the, like, it's not just, there's this giant storage somewhere far away from your house that you're pulling electricity from the way electricity moves on a grid is incredibly dynamic and the prices associated with that dyna dynamics are, are basically are, are the market in which you're referring to. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, so this is uh, Carl again. If you're, you're correct, if you look at the energy grid uh, today uh, and historically, there's actually very little storage on the grid. So um, the grid and the people that operate the grid in deregulated markets that are called ISOs um, have to essentially balance the load on the grid and balance the production or generation almost you know, perfectly, and they have to do that in real time. So they create these markets, um, uh, the wholesale markets. They have uh, futures markets, which are known as day-ahead markets. And then they also have real-time markets. And they have a number of other systems, too, to kind of help them uh, in the control methodology. But they prefer to use these market signals and these market mechanisms uh, to help keep the grid in balance. So one of the things that we're actually doing by exposing the um, consumer to those markets is they can intelligently respond to the economics in those markets. So they can say, okay, uh, energy is really expensive right now. You know, maybe my house is already at, you know, 72. I can shut my AC off for 15 minutes. You know, I'll save a bit of money. What that's also doing though is it's helping the grid, uh, stay in balance better and it's actually helping the grid uh get better utilization of the resource because 
you know, it's, it's those peak times when people are using a lot of energy that kind of dictate the amount of infrastructure that's needed for, uh, you know, distribution and transmission. So uh, kind of exposing people to those price fluctuations helps the system holistically. All right. So that like, I, I love the idea of that. And it is, it is a very much of a decentralization of production and how people consume and maintain an energy grid. And I'm curious about, like, have you, I'm, I'm sure you have, but can you give us some type of scenario to elucidate kind of the average user experience in the future if this is something that ends up taking off and becoming somewhat standard? Yeah, walk me through a day in the life of this Jetsons energy system. Yeah, so uh, Alex here. Um, as, I, as I was saying earlier, that what we really have as one of the main, main sort of UI goals is to keep things as absolutely simple as possible. So we don't really want um, users to have to know that there are all of these dynamics going on in the background. The idea behind the agent is that it can respond intelligently based on whatever data you give it. So the idea going into the future would be that maybe you could um, hook it up to your, you know, your your Tesla API or your calendar or something like that. You can you could have a key pair on your agent and you could sign um, some data using its public key such that only the agent would ever be able to, de to decode that so we could do it securely. Um, and the, the idea being that like just the more data you give it, the more intelligent it's going to be, but you don't necessarily have to um, do anything to make it more intelligent other than just expose it to data you already have. Hmm. So let me get a, let me ask you a question here. So from a developer standpoint, as opposed to a user standpoint, like what sort of things can a developer look for to take, you know, because this is a very interesting idea. So I'm very curious as to if you have a network like this, what other sort of interesting tools or services can be built on top of this? Like, because I would only expect that, you know, that would be something like to go forward in the future. So what would that look like? Yeah. So one of the things we're talking about now is, you know, the, the first version of our SDK, sort of what's that going to look like? Mm -hmm. um, I think the examples I just gave of, of your Tesla or your, you know, Google Calendar or something like that, I think what it would look like is just an, an authenticated data feed going into the agent and then um, writing some sort of an app that would interpret that um, and use that in some sort of way that the, the agent could you know, parse the data from. Um, what gets maybe more interesting from a crypto perspective is what we can do within sort of the crypto realm. So we, we can imagine these agents, you know, you plug in an SD card and suddenly it becomes an IPFS node because it, it already has all it needs to do to interact with Ethereum and likely all it needs to interact with IPFS. Um, but now it has, you know, all of this storage too. So we think these things could be um, sort, sort of like nodes on a lot of these distributed systems. And um, all of this can happen behind the scenes. And that's, that's really, again, the number one goal. Ah, like, yeah, I like that. That makes a lot more sense now when you put it that way. Um, like I would, uh, I would just be sort of curious as like other sorts of ways where people could build software where they could like monetize their different energy, energy in other novel ways. But for, for the life of me, I couldn't think of anything like really cool 
you know, aside from just like the interconnectivity, you know, between your different uh, devices and like constantly being able to meter that and, you know, uh, manage that accordingly. But, you know, I, I'd be curious to see what people can come up when, when it comes to like uh, building um, software on types of services like these, because like historically, I don't think it's very easy to build. You can't build anything on top of anything related to energy in any sort of like open manner presently, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you guys can enlighten me. Yeah. So, so Mackie, um, just to follow up kind of with, with this idea of sort of alternate uses, um, mm -hmm. one of the things that we kind of had to consider when sort of designing the overall system architecture is that we still need to maintain security mm -hmm. it, it, under the assumption that the consumer is completely naive, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to design or we have designed a system um, in which it's able to do that. So between, you know, using hardware enclaves, between using um, multi-signatures, between using, you know, second factor authentication, we believe that we have actually a system where you can store a cryptocurrency uh, in an always online environment in a standard setting way in terms of security. And that's actually a really huge thing. So basically uh, your energy that you use in your carbon footprint is your bank. It can also be your bank, correct? So the That's agent cool. could could potentially you could think of it as as your bank account. Now mm -hmm. you could also think about because we're able to use this network architecture to keep cryptocurrency secure, but also make it uh, uh, always accessible and usable. Is we could actually be the portal device for all IoT devices. Because mm -hmm. if you think about the topology of creating, you know, uh, Ethereum-enabled IoT devices, it's probably a pretty poor topology to think that every IoT device is going to be running their own light node or that every IoT device is going to natively be secure, right? You're going to have all these different software and hardware, you know, implementations. So if we could have this, this one point where mm -hmm. we know that's a secure system, it can be the centralized gateway that can allow other IoT devices to interact in a permissioned and secure manner. Yeah, I was, I was just considering that, considering like you were discussing bringing, maybe adding IPFS functionality. The more functionality you bring into something that you've called this agent, the more it's able to do various things on the Ethereum network because it's already hooked up to it. Not only can it manage your energy, it can manage your finances, it can manage your the, the portal of your IoT smart home and whatever functionality that may have. And it, it, the, 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 I guess the future is bright in terms of what you could think about a household agent that manages your finances and energy is capable of. Talks about, and this is Mark here, we also talked about how can we secure Ethereum itself with our agent device. So we've been talking to Carl Flores quite a bit. He's working with Vlad and Vitalik on actually implementing uh, Casper, or at least version one of Casper in Python. Um, and we've been designing a solution wherein you could essentially imagine <clears throat> this agent device is getting fed raw unsigned transactions and it's able to sign them online in the secure enclave and then blast them out to the ecosystem. So maybe you're running your Casper uh, validating software on AWS or on Azure, and then you're passing it back to your agent device. It could do a simple check to make sure that there's no discrepancies between the two, sign a transaction, then kind of blast it off or even crazier if you pre-funded your device with like Golem tokens or something like that, and it's paying for computation for like the raw transactions on Golem, gets them passed back, and then blasting them out. So you're securing the Ethereum network without ever leaving the Rails itself, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it, how, how, do you feel like the energy market is the best bootstrap for something like this? 
Well, retailers are hugely inefficient. I mean, Alex and I can attest to that, and Carl probably has better information than any of us, but like earlier this year, Alex and I were presenting in Amsterdam to a whole series of these utilities. Uh, essentially, they're all looking at ways that they can reduce costs because they are dinosaurs and they are very, very slow to adopt any kind of new technology. So they all have this budget to go spend on like new tech, but they're all really afraid and blockchains they don't totally understand. So I, I think this they know change is coming to them. Um, how they're going to react to it, I'm not totally sure, but there's like ripe for disruption in that ecosystem. Like typically, end users don't realize they're like you said earlier. They're just paying their energy bill. They don't really know where it goes. But it would probably bother them if they looked at it and they realized that only 50% of that's going to pay for all the uphill, you know, generation, distribution, and transmission, and the wholesale costs. And the other 50% of it's going to the retailer for the markup that they charge. And literally, all they're doing is billing customers, dealing with bad debt expense, and marketing. And we feel like doubling the price of energy for those activities is kind of silly. That's great. So essentially bringing more efficiency to the market in the long term and allowing people to like pay less but still get more utility out of the energy they use every day by embedding it with the Ethereum ecosystem in hopes to grow the ecosystem by powering it with the energy that we already use every day. Beautiful. That sounds like synergy at the best and it even has the word energy in it. So it works great. <laughs> So, so I have I have a question here for you guys. Like, so you know, you, you must have learned um, learned something uh, along the way, uh, either in relation to when you were taking a look at traditional markets and energy, and you know what sort of innovations people have tried and what have failed. Because I'm sure some of you guys have nerded around and poked around in there. So, what's what's some what's some stuff that you guys have learned? You know, and and if each of you want to take a chance, like feel free. But uh, we'd love to hear about that. Uh, I I can jump in. Um, I've learned that decentralization, uh, decentralized um, exchanges are, are never going to work on chain. And I learned that the hard way through one of our old energy projects. Um, being on you know, enterprise projects, we call them, so these are consulting engagements, actually informs a lot of um, just sort of the, the, the community knowledge, I think. Um, I think it, it it seeps out of a lot of places and I, I've watched sort of the, the ecosystem just get more savvy over time. Like it used to be all about doing all of these things with smart contracts. And then like slowly we've started to realize that, um, that you, they cost a lot of money. Like smart contracts are, are super expensive. Blockchains are horribly inefficient and shouldn't really be used for most things. Um, and when you, when you do these enterprise projects and the client tells you what, what you, what they want and they give kind of an outline of how they want you to do it um, and you get started down a road you have like this six month uh, timeline and you realize oh this is actually terrible um, it's still really beneficial because failing is um, is a great way to learn and that has sort of been the uh, <laughs> that's sort of been the motto for our, for our energy projects that we've had over the years um, we've, we've just learned a lot and we think this is a really good culmination of all that knowledge. And uh, does anybody else have some knowledge they want to share? Because that was an excellent. Thank you very much. I think Alex stole my idea, but no. <laughs> <laughs> that, pro that project was painful. There was, there was lots of learning. Um, I would say that I learned that there is a ton of learning left to do, that so many of our clients come to us with all these ideas that they want to do on a blockchain. Uh, I don't know if it's just because it's a buzzword or they haven't thought through all the implications of that, but I find that I push back on our clients more than anything else. 
um, and trying to find a very logical place to make this fit and have it more efficient is difficult. And it's fine to go in and test and play around and use your innovation budget. That's totally great. But uh, I think there's still a lot of learning that has to happen in the ecosystem as to what will actually be put into production, what can be, what, where can you experience efficiencies and where the fundamental innovation really lies. Because building a private chain and just running it internally and calling yourself like super innovative and that you did XYZ doesn't really mean much to me. Um, it's hard to build these things in production. It's hard to find a great use case on the enterprise side. Um, and I don't know, it, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn at every engagement. Um, I, I think working with a good team has been super helpful too. And like, we're all really passionate about this space, which is fantastic. Um, so it makes learning like a lot of fun actually working on this. So at least I'm grateful on that end. Excellent. Now, if no one else has any more advice, then I'm going to go ahead and just, uh, ask you guys just one more question. Everyone good? Yep. All right, cool. All right, so my last question for you guys is in relation to like Grid Plus. Uh, what is some important information that we should leave the audience with um, to think about and to chew on, uh, either in relation to uh, an ICO? I don't know if that's something you guys are considering. Um, if any like milestones, anything major coming up to look out for, or what's 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 cooking? What's on the uh, on the timeline? Uh, yeah, I guess I could take that. So we've been playing around with this for quite some time. Uh, we have a hardware device that Carl has built and 3D printed, so probably an updated version of that's coming out soon. Uh, we will continuously update the white paper. Once we get some feedback from legal amongst other uh, participants, we're going through a security audit now with consensus diligence, um, and that team is fantastic, so all that's going really well. Uh, we do plan to have a token launch probably Q4 of this year would be my guess, early Q4. Um, more details of that will, you know, to come. You can go to our website, grid, uh, gridplus.io, and you can sign up for, for updates. And I'm sure Alex will happily blast them out whenever we have something important to say. Excellent. Well, thank you. That's perfect. Uh, Penny, did you want to ask anything else before we scoot out of here? Or do you think we have sufficient amount of information? No, that was fantastic. I look forward. This is this is one of the, I guess, markets early on when I started getting into this that I felt could be heavily disrupted from this technology. And I'm glad that it seems we have quite a bit of professional people working together to, to, to actually make a difference here and something that I feel can actually make a large difference in how we consume energy that takes advantage of the technology for what it's supposed to be used for, as opposed to just, like you said, slapping the name on it and trying to make money off of it. I, I have one comment or one departing thought to think about please, um, please i think one thing that's really interesting about the system architecture that we're proposing right we're, we're making it specific to you know energy markets as its as primary use case but you know through our discussion we've obviously seen that there's all these these secondary use cases um how many people here remember aol Oh, I remember the. You've got mail. Yeah. I can go on, but you get it. You know I'm going with this. Yeah. How did you install AOL? Uh, with the CD that I got in the mail um, from my neighbor's front lawn. Yeah. Right. So, so AOL uh, was this abstraction of the internet, which used to be a very hard and very difficult thing to use. But the reason that AOL was popular and helped the internet take off is because, you know, they distributed the system, you know, and anybody that, you know, that didn't know a lot about computers could just pop it in their computer, follow the directions, you know, and suddenly they got mail, right? 
Uh, we think that this system architecture, where we have this secure system, it can be used by people completely naively and can be leveraged by other uh, applications to use uh, cryptocurrency is potentially that type of enabling technology. It could potentially do to cryptocurrency what the AOL, AOL CD did to the internet. Mm, by bringing it straight to the home, straight through your plug, instead of your mailbox. I like that a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the ultimate way to bootstrap the actual hardware infrastructure required to build a network that Ethereum needs. I wonder if anyone's thought about just mailing everyone in the United States a copy of the blockchain on a USB and just sees what happens. Oh, that's very bad. Just, you know, if we get USBs down to the cost of a CD, we just mail every, all 300 million people, you know, in the U.S. a USB drive. And, you know. Dude, you should, you should never stick a USB. Security issues, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> What are you talking about? This is a great idea to work on. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys coming on the show and having fun with us. Um, and, you know, uh, once you guys' projects out there and rolling, you know, as I say to all our guests, please come back and fill us in and let us know what's good and what's new. Um, we'll keep the audience educated on what you guys are cooking up. Hey, thanks a lot for having us. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Mackie. Yeah, no problem, guys. All right, thank you very much. You gentlemen have a great day. This episode of Block Channel was brought to you by Zcash. Zcash is a public blockchain with security and privacy at the center of its mission. Zcash utilizes cutting-edge zero-knowledge proofs to enable real cash-like privacy for your internet-related transactions. Zcash believes privacy can be compatible with social values and with good regulation and law enforcement. They wish to use their science-driven approach to ensure a privacy-first future when building next-generation applications atop of a public blockchain. Zcash has strong governance with checks and balances to ensure its long-term growth possessing both an open, inclusive, strong community thanks to the Zcash company with founder CEO Duco Wilcox at the helm and Zcash Foundation boasting members like Naval Ravikant from AngelList. Zcash provides another robust vision for bringing private payments to the internet. To learn more, check out the links in the show notes description below. Thing missing.